Cosmos Science, news, magazine, podcasts, video and features. When you think of where the oxygen we breathe comes from, what's the first thing that comes to mind? The Amazon rainforest? Did you know that more than half of our oxygen is produced by microscopic organisms in the ocean? It's a key example of how tiny efforts can make a colossal impact. Hi listeners, I'm Amelia Naumov and I'm a Year 12 student fascinated by micro-ecosystems. Today on Podcast Next Gen, we'll be talking about mighty microbes called phytoplankton. Imagine this, one day along the beach, you scoop up some seawater and place it under a microscope. This is something I've done before, and I'd highly recommend you give it a go. Under the microscope, you would see a huge variety of complex and beautiful creatures. You might see floating green strands, swimming blobs, and slowly cruising worms. There's even ones that swim so fast it's hard to spot them. It is estimated that one cup of seawater can have up to 25 billion life forms. Most of these creatures you're seeing are microscopic plankton. Some convert sunlight and carbon into energy and oxygen, just like plants. These are the phytoplankton, while others are teeny tiny animals, which are zooplankton. Why are they so important though? You might know that at the top of the food pyramid are apex predators, but at the bottom of the aquatic food pyramid is phytoplankton. This makes them what's known as primary producers. So if a shark eats a fish, it's actually eating a fish that's eaten a worm, that's eaten a zooplankton, that's eaten a phytoplankton. Without the foundation, the whole pyramid would collapse. That's why today I'm so interested in talking about them. There are estimated to be around a billion, 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 that's a one with 27 zeros after it, phytoplankton in the world from 100,000 different species. This means there is more phytoplankton in the ocean than stars in the sky. Fascinatingly, some even glow in the dark, like our ocean's own Milky Way. Phytoplankton usually range from one micrometer to one millimeter in size and are not always microscopic. Even though they photosynthesize, phytoplankton are not plants and they're not animals either. They are mainly protists or bacteria. Protists like single-celled algae are eukaryotic, meaning they're complex and advanced phytoplankton. Photosynthetic bacteria, on the other hand, are very simple cells of phytoplankton, but are much more abundant. Cyanobacteria is a type of photosynthetic bacteria and are among the oldest organisms on Earth. Phytoplankton aren't the only microbes in the ocean. Zooplankton, instead of being like tiny plants or protists, are tiny animals. They are usually larger than phytoplankton, and although they're normally a few centimetres, megaplankton can be measured in metres. Some zooplankton are temporary and are known as meroplankton. For example, the larvae of a fish or octopus will spend some time being a microscopic zooplankton before they grow. Other zooplankton are permanent and are known as holoplankton. Some examples of these are marine worms and krill. Surprisingly, jellyfish are a hollow zooplankton despite their size. It's also not just seawater that you can spot tiny microbes in. If you took that microscope to the beach and looked at the sand up close, you'd see ornate shells and strange exoskeletons. This is because when plankton reach the end of their lifespan, their shells and structures sink down and become part of the sand. If you look closer between the grains of sand, you might notice surprisingly geometric shapes made of glass, and they're too small to be man-made. 
Most likely, these tiny intricate glass structures are from diatoms, which are the most common type of phytoplankton that create our oxygen. Diatoms use silica to make intricate walls of glass around them to protect themselves from predators. When they die, the glass structure allows the organism to fall to the seafloor and sequester carbon from the atmosphere into long-term storage. So not only do these diatoms create oxygen, but they safely store carbon. Marine microbes can fossilise and form microfossils and nanofossils that geologists can use to estimate past ocean temperatures and salinity. This ancient microdata can be used to track climate change over millions of years. I once visited a micropaleontology lab where scientists analyse ancient rock specimens and microfossils from deep below the ocean. I looked at a wide variety of marine nanofossils under high-powered microscopes and they looked like tiny artworks. One of the most interesting group of fossils were radiolarians, which are a zooplankton that make glass silica walls just like the diatoms. These were dated to be around 40 million years old from the Eocene epoch from the Japan Sea. These radiolarians were a perfect honeycomb-like net structure that curved to form a round acorn shape. You might be wondering how scientists can extract such tiny microfossils from huge rocks. They use a sizzling process called acid extraction. This is just like if you put a coin in a fizzy drink. You will notice that the acid will dissolve the stains and grime until you are left with a pure shiny coin. So to get the microfossils out of a rock, scientists actually soak the rock in specific acid chemicals that dissolve away the rock and leave the silica and calcium shells behind. It seems quicker than excavating with a microscopic pickaxe. If we look back to today's phytoplankton, unfortunately, they're extremely sensitive to temperature and global warming is disrupting the balance of these important oxygen producers and carbon storers. You may have heard of the global weather patterns El Niño and La Niña. Well, phytoplankton thrive during the warm waters of La Niña and subside in the cold waters of El Niño. In some conditions, phytoplankton populations can grow explosively and form a bloom. These can cover hundreds of square kilometres across the ocean and are visible to satellites. Fascinatingly, a bloom can last several weeks but the lifespan of one phytoplankton is only a few days. During the La Nina warm waters, I saw what's called a red tide, which is a large bloom of dinoflagellates, a red phytoplankton. The main feature of the red tide was large masses of incoming water that was cloudy with a reddish-brown colour. I was surprised to see the bloom on such a choppy day, but then I heard that stormy weather is great for fishing. What does fishing have to do with plankton? Well, plankton is a main food source for fish and stormy waters mix everything up and bring the nutrients up to the surface of the water. If we think back to the food pyramid, phytoplankton need nutrients to photosynthesize, fish need food to survive, and lots of people like fishing. So these conditions are great for everyone. Even though they thrive in warm water, phytoplankton won't survive the other impacts of global warming. While climate change is increasing the temperature of the water, it's also causing it to stratify. Think of this like when you leave a smoothie sitting around, especially on a warm day, and different juices form layers and some eventually sink to the bottom. Normally, the ocean has three main layers, 
the surface layer, which is warm and not very salty, the thermocline, which is colder and saltier, and the deep ocean, which is coldest and highly saline. Usually, nutrients move between these layers during nutrient recycling, where dead organisms decompose and other organisms help release these nutrients back into the environment and food pyramid. So as ocean temperatures rise, the warm surface layer will separate even more from the other layers, making it difficult for nutrients to reach the surface and for oxygen to reach the sea floor. Since global warming will mean that phytoplankton can't get the nutrients they need to photosynthesize, biochemists predict that phytoplankton productivity will decline. In fact, phytoplankton populations have already declined by nearly half since 1950. That's a 1% loss each year. You can imagine that this is bad news for our oxygen since phytoplankton produce over half of it. Scientists say it's vital to combine our efforts to reduce emissions and flip global warming because it's our oxygen and the whole ecosystem that's at stake. Next time you look at the ocean or take a breath of air, think of the tiny microscopic heroes called phytoplankton. You've been listening to Podcast Next Gen, a collaboration between the National Youth Science Forum and Cosmos magazine. Year 12 students from across Australia have written and recorded their own science shortcasts about important topics in their lives. We'll be releasing them weekly, so keep an ear out. Cosmos is a publication of the Royal Institution of Australia, which is based in Adelaide on Ghana land. The students recorded their pieces around Australia, and we pay respects to Indigenous groups across the country. 